At five o'clock, we're going to worship again, but we're not done listening for your voice. I pray. I pray with all of my heart that your spirit, the third person of the Godhead, will be unfettered and have unhindered access to our hearts. The world needs young and old, men and women, Christians who are going to stand for the right, though the heavens fall. And today we pray that you would do that work in us. In the name of Jesus, amen. This is our final, our final for the altar of intimacy. Invitation to come and again meet Jesus on a regular, daily basis. I want to start with a story you have already heard. I've stood in the spot, looked out over exactly where this has happened, and maybe so have you. It's kind of a, a story of America. Unlikely. Joshua Chamberlain was a student of theology. You can tell him he would have been a great preacher, no doubt. Professor of rhetoric. Not a soldier. He wasn't a soldier at all. But when he was called to duty, Chamberlain answered. He climbed the ranks to become a colonel of the 20th Maine Volunteer Infantry Regiment. Union Army. On July 2, 1863, Chamberlain and his 300 soldier regiment were all that stood between the Confederates and certain defeat on the battle field of Gettysburg. First pastor, my first invitation to serve as a pastor was just up the road from Gettysburg. At 2.30, on July 2nd, the 15th and the 47th Alabama Infantry Regiments of the Confederate Army charged, but Chamberlain and his men held their ground. Then followed a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth charge. By the last, Chamberlain stood with only 80 men of his original 300. 80 blues on the battlefield of Gettysburg. At one point, you know the story as it's been told, Chamberlain himself was knocked down by a bullet that hit his belt buckle. And you Texans know about that. But the 34-year-old school teacher, I'm telling you, it takes a lot to knock a school teacher down. And it takes a lot to keep a school teacher down. But this school teacher got right back up and it was his date with destiny. July 2, 1863, his sergeant informed him that there were no reinforcements coming and his men were down to one round of ammunition per soldier. Standing on that very small hill, rise in Gettysburg, the rolling hills all around scattered with trees, waving grass, Chamberlain stood alone. And he knew, he knew the weight that was on his shoulders and the time that he had to make the decision. And so he acted decisively. 
their lookout. A young boy perched high in a tree on Little Round Top informed Colonel Chamberlain that the Confederates were forming rank again. A sixth charge was coming and they wouldn't last. Not without reinforcements, not without ammunition. What would have been expected would have been a surrender, but Chamberlain wasn't wired that way. Most school teachers aren't. He made a defining decision that turned the tide of the war and single-handedly saved the Union. In a full view of the enemy, Chamberlain climbed up on their barricade of stones and gave the command to his 80 soldiers. He pointed his sword and yelled the one-word order, charge. With bayonets fixed, those 80 men started running across that grassy, field, stunning the Confederate army, which vastly outnumbered them. They caught them off guard by executing a great right wheel, and in what ranks as one of the most improbable victories in military history, 80 Union soldiers captured 4,000 Confederate soldiers in five minutes. I know we're having mic problems here. You just bear with me. I know, I know, you just keep working. You just keep working, we'll be fine. But somebody may have to get me a mic in a moment, sooner than later, if it's up to you. Exodus chapter, Exodus chapter 17 and verse 15. Grab your Bibles. I wish you would go with me to Exodus chapter 17 and verse 15. We're going to one verse. Thank you. Jonathan, maybe the whole system, where we are. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 15. One verse, one verse and we're off. To wrap our minds around this one verse, if we can capture this one verse, we'll get the big idea. I believe the Holy Spirit will change our lives. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 15. Moses, uh, we know about Moses, leading the children through the wilderness those 40 years, built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. Are we all right now? The Lord is my banner. What does that mean? He uses the term Jehovah Nis Nisi, which is the only time in scripture that that term is employed. God is my banner. Put the, put the term he actually uses, Jehovah Nissi, on the screen for you. The Lord is my banner. The only time this term is employed. The background, the background, come on. You're already looking in your Bibles. You already see the, the, sub, the headings above it. This is, a, this is a moment in which Moses has an improbable victory. Come on, Moses and this ragtag group of wanderers in the wilderness don't stand a chance against the Amalekites. These guys are, are, are fighting men. And they've come to attack the people of God. They're a powerful, warlike people. And Israel, some, some escaped slaves from Egypt. As the battle commenced, Moses stood on a hill with his arms outstretched 
and in his hand the rod of God, the same rod that had brought water forth from the rock through the power of God. This, this battle was unusual because as long as Moses stood on that hill top with his hands raised, Israel was beating the Amalekites. If history had been recording this moment, the historians would have been incredulous. This, 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 we've got to check our sources. This doesn't seem possible. But Moses stands on the hill. And as the day wears on, his arms become tired. Aaron and Hur, man named Hur, one of the leaders there, is up there with Moses. And they say, look, we've got to keep Moses' arms up. This is God. This is God using Moses for victory. So they held up his arms, and in a strange way, the battle was won. It was so strange that nobody could take the credit for it. Really? Moses, you're going to take the credit for it? Your arms were raised, and you got tired up on a hill. You can't take credit for that. But nobody else could either. And it became clear that God had stood on behalf of his people, that it was not by military might, nor by military power, but by the Spirit of God. The battle is the Lord's. Moses then, as they had, as they had beaten the Amalekites, Moses then constructs this altar and says, I've got to go meet with my God. And in constructing that altar, you see, throughout the Old Testament, the, the, the followers of God constructed these altars both as a signal that they were worshiping and as a witness to all of the nations around them of who they worship. And so Moses built an altar in recognition of who had won the battle. Let it be known that God and that's why when he builds this altar, he raises his voice and declares, my God is my banner, Jehovah Nissi. He was all in for the cause of Christ. He was declaring to everyone that would listen and anyone that would watch that he was all in for the cause of Jesus, that his life was all for Jesus because he knew Jesus was all for him. He was unashamed, Paul would have written. He was unashamed of the gospel of Christ because Jesus was unashamed of Moses. And so he declares, the Lord is my banner. It's a military expression of strength and might. And Moses says, God is my flag. He's my banner. What about that banner? There's more than just a confession of allegiance. There's more than just a declaration from Moses on the, at this moment that he is committed to Jesus. It is that, but there's more. The hands, the rod of Moses that were held up in the same way that a soldier holds up a flag leading troops into battle. That's what Moses stood as he stood on the hillside overlooking this unlikely victory. It was known that his hands were symbolic of the arm of God, the banner of God over his people, Jehovah Nissi. It is safe to assume 
While Moses held up his arms, he was praying, interceding for his people. Oh, God, be with them below. Moses' weariness, evidenced by the lowering of his hands, illustrates that oftentimes we are weak, but he is strong. And that declaration of Moses beside the altar, God is my banner, was a statement for all believers in any era and any age that we can only be victorious when we honor the name of Jesus. We will fall any and every other way. I've got a helper today. My son, bring up, what is a banner? That's a flag. I know we on International Sabbath bring up dozens and dozens of flags as we are represented and connected to countries around the world. But today we're going to just use this United States flag as an example, an illustration here, 1814, it was a rainy, very rainy day on September 13 of that year. British warships had sent a downpour of shells and rockets on a little fort, been there, as many of you have, a little fort that guarded the Baltimore Harbor. They relentlessly pounded Fort McHenry for 25 hours, the bombardment known as the Battle of Baltimore. It came only weeks after they had attacked Washington, D.C., burning the Capitol and Treasury and the President's House. The War of 1812 was at a crossroads earlier. Oh, about a week earlier, in fact. Francis Scott Key, a 35-year-old lawyer, had boarded the flagship of the British fleet in the Chesapeake Bay in hopes of persuading the British to release one of his friends who had recently been arrested. Key must have been a good lawyer because he convinced them to release his friend. But both of them had been, had been too close to information shared while on the ship. So the, the Redcoats said, you're, you're not getting off these ships. Until we're done with what we, you might have heard. So they wouldn't let them off. And they were under guard then on September 13, as the attack began on Fort McHenry. All through the night. All through the night. They could hear and see the explosions. It was written so poetically by Key in what has now become the national anthem, Oh Say Can You See, by the dawn's early light, 25 hours, and they're waiting for the dawn's early light, what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through a perilous flight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming, and the rocket's red glare and the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. And then he poses the question, oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave? Because Key knew that if that 
flag was missing in Don's early light, if it had been replaced by the Union Jack flag of Great Britain, if the stars and the stripes were still not flying over Fort McHenry in the Don's early light, he knew that the land of the free and the home of the brave would have a whole different story through history. So he poses the question, does that star-spangled banner yet wave? Does it still wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave? It's a question. It's a question that every time we sing it or say it, or stand and place our, heart, our hand over our heart, we are asking the question, does that banner still wave? Why? Because the banner represents the freedom and the victory and the might of the country. Thank you, Micah. If Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Paul writes, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. He writes, for our struggle, our struggle, you want to know about the war that we're in? Let me put it very, very simply and precisely to you. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood not against other peoples, but against rulers. Wait a minute, not just rulers. Against authorities, wait a minute, not just authorities. Against the powers of a dark world and against the supernatural forces of evil that exist even in the heavenly realms. You wanna know what kind of battle we're in? Not between me and you. Not between one people group or another. We are involved in a great controversy between the powers of darkness and the heavenly forces. How do we then? How do we then? How do we then gain victory over these powers of a dark world? We might be, we might be urged as Key was sitting on the ship out in the harbor. Is there still a banner that flies over us Christians? Is there still the banner that waves over me? Is God still standing as the mighty guard of his people? And how do I know? How can I see if that banner still waves? Because sitting here, you've lost heart. You've given up. You've become discouraged, discombobulated, or indifferent. God hasn't done anything for you in a day. You're feeling like you're all alone. And that banner of heaven doesn't wave over your life anymore. Might as well give up, give in. What's the fight worth it? It's over. Does the, is there a banner that still waves over God's faithful? 
I would like to propose to you that we gain victory. We gain that assurance, that confidence. We understand. We see the banner. The only way we can see the banner, in fact, is if we go to the altar and meet there. It was said of Jesus on his life here that he would go into the synagogue each Sabbath day as his custom was and that a great deal before dawn he would rise up and retreat into a time of prayer. Why? Why, pray tell, did Jesus set a custom to go into the synagogue on a weekly basis and then go into an alone time, we would call it in the Old Testament, an altar? Why would he do that? Because Jesus himself knew the only way that he could continue to see the banner fly over his heart was to meet his father at the altar. And so he still waits for us there. 28 days ago, 28 days ago, we were challenged from this pulpit to spend 28 days in increased time with Jesus or starting a time with Jesus, to read a chapter of Matthew, there's 28 chapters, to spend time meeting Jesus, the Lamb of God, referenced 28 times in Scripture, or worshiping Him, the word hallelujah, appearing 28 times. I've been, I've been blessed to be a witness of a father take his young daughter into his lap and read a chapter of the Gospel of Matthew in their collective commitment that they were going to meet Jesus. Maybe you didn't start it. Maybe you didn't finish it. But I would like to extend another challenge to you, not for 28 days, not for 28 months, and not even for 28 years, but for the rest of your life to meet Jesus at the altar. In a world that is twisted with a devil that is bent on convincing you that the banner still doesn't wave over your life. I want to do everything I can do to convince you that the Father of Jesus loves and wants you. That Satan is unloading on you a thousand things to distract you. We talked about that last week. There's some gods that got to go. You got to give them up or you won't be able to see or hear the banner. But if you're willing to meet Jesus at the altar, I believe you'll see the banner fly. Oh, does that banner still fly? You will be able to, with the assurance of Moses, stand on the mountain and say, my God is my banner. In probably one of my favorite books on the question of meeting Jesus and learning his heart and having him meet our heart, written by Dr. Joseph Kidder, who was just here, did this weekend just a few months ago. The book's entitled Journey to the Heart of God. It's a newer book. I just happened to read it the last couple of months. In fact, I've got an extra copy. I'd love to not let it sit on my shelf. 
Joe Kidder references 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, and I'll put it on the screen for you, when he says, this is Paul's statement, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You don't need to figure everything else out, but you must know Jesus and him crucified. And then Dr. Kidder adds, this becomes the beginning of a lifetime journey. Not 28 days, not 40 days, seniors or juniors, but a lifetime journey to know the heart of God. If you're willing, I believe with all of my heart that you will come to know that the banner of heaven still flies over your life, just like the star-spangled banner flew over doesn't matter, 25 hours of bombardment, how unlikely it was that that flag still flew. It doesn't matter the attacks that Satan brings on your life, beloved. If you meet with Jesus, you will know that his banner waves over you. It's a little thing, you say, just a devotional. It's not a big deal. It doesn't make, come on, you're making a big deal out of, out of nothing. Well, let me throw up the words of author Mark Batterson. In the eyes of God, little things are big things. We find out. And I've learned, he writes, that if we do the little things like they are big things, then God will do the big things like they are little things. Come on, beloved. What do you want in your life? You want God to take the big thing that you're dealing with, the big obstacle, and treat it like a little thing? That's what the banner does when it waves over your heart. God says, I'll take the big things, make them little things, if you'll take the little things and make them big things in your life. Sure, spending time with Jesus, hey, half an hour, 15 minutes, two hours, beloved. Why limit yourself? As if God is on some sort of stopwatch. All right, God, you got 10, go. What is that about? You say, well, I got to get to school and get to work. Why don't we stop skipping school? Why don't we start skipping school to spend time with Jesus? Why don't we start skipping work to spend time with Jesus? Now you say that doesn't work in the real world. Gets, thanks for the, thanks for the hyperbole. But somehow, somehow we are so twisted in our priorities that we say, God, sorry, your time's up because I got to go provide for myself and my family. I'll leave it there. I'm not saying to skip work or skip school, except that your time with Jesus is the most important thing you can do in a day. Ellen White, her beautiful rendition of the life of Jesus and Desire of Ages, writes this, and it's going to take me two screens to get through it, but just, just pay attention to this. It would be well for you, because I'm going to quote a senior from this campus in just a minute. It would be well for you to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. An hour. Why not? God convicted me a couple of years ago. Why don't you tithe your time like you tithe your money? Why don't you take a tenth of your day and spend it with me? That's my conviction, not yours. But why don't you ask God? What do you, how much time should we spend together? Thoughtful hour in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point. The life of Jesus. Matthew. Hey, there's a good idea. Let's read through the Gospel of Matthew. Point by point, let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones. Keep reading. As we thus dwell upon his great sacrifice for us, for me, our confidence in him will be our confidence. Wait a minute, do you hear what do you hear what she's writing? We will have a sense of the banner that flies over our heart. We will see the banner 
that we thought had been taken down. Our confidence in him will become more constant. Our love will be quickened. And he, and we rather, shall be more deeply imbued with his spirit. You say, well, you know, that, <laughs> come on, give me a date when that was written. That was a few days ago. That doesn't work anymore. Oh, it doesn't, does it? Mrs. Bazama, one of our illustrious teachers on this campus that you know, and wife of our pastor, Bazama, says, hey, by the way, the juniors weren't the only ones that took the 40-day challenge. Apparently the seniors, seniors, well done, seniors. Don't ever, don't ever stop leading a campus to Jesus. But the seniors did a 40-day challenge. I'm going to quote a senior. It's, I, I read line after line of some of what they shared without a name. I'm just going to quote this as representative of what the seniors turned in. Quote, wouldn't you want to be with someone that has an everlasting love for you? Question. I mean, wouldn't you want to be with that person? The time, listen, young people and old people, the time that I wasted could have been with a God that genuinely wants to be part of my life, but I blew it on TikTok and I blew it on Instagram and I blew it on YouTube. That was my addition, sorry, senior. That was... You said, the time I wasted could have been with a God that genuinely wants to be a part of my life. All they want is your attention to sell ad space. They do not care about anything else. All right, as, as, back to the quote. As I am writing this right now, I am wondering why I didn't spend more time sooner. Oh, senior, I am praising God for you because there's some, there's some midlife people in this congregation that haven't figured it out yet, but you in your senior year of high school, you've got it. I think that the secular world is trying its hardest to steer our direction away from God. Brilliant. Who is this student? Let them preach. I am very grateful for the time I spent in God's word through this assignment. Having this special time is indeed difficult. Doesn't come easy? Come on, what are you talking about? But that is because the enemy is working so hard to prevent our connection with the one who loves us unconditionally. We must have a firm foundation within Christ so that when Satan tries to overcome our schedules, we automatically go back to the cornerstone in which we have set everything on top of, end quote. Oh, that God would raise up a hundred more. I would say, I'm going to place Jesus as my cornerstone, and I have a renewed, by spending time at the altar with Jesus, I have a renewed confidence. This is what the prophet wrote. And wouldn't you know the prophet was right? A senior with a renewed confidence that Jesus loves him or her. You want to see the banner. You want to know without a doubt that Jesus loves you and that he's going to work on your behalf and that he's guiding your life and that he's going to protect you. Do you want to know that kind of confidence? Come on, beloved. We want to know it. Then spend time at the altar. Because the banner still waves. Jehovah Nissi, the banner still waves. Psalm 46 and verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, Have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Psalm 60 verses 4 and 5, For those who fear you, you have raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow. Save us and help us with your right hand. Those that those you love may be delivered. John 16 and verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world 
You will have trouble, but, I, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Psalm 3 and verse 3, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. Psalm 18 and verse 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 57, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, through the Lord Jesus Christ, rather. And Isaiah 41 and verse 10, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And there stands Moses on the hill overlooking an impossible victory between Israel and the Amalekites. And his hands are raised. And as he builds that altar, he says, it wasn't my hands. It wasn't anything I did. I was just, just the symbol of the banner that flies over God's people. Is the banner still over your life? Does the banner still wave? What did Key write? Oh, does that banner still wave? Yes, the banner still waves. And through the dawn's early light, if you are willing to rise up and meet with Jesus at the altar, I know, I know that I know that I know, you will have a renewed sense of confidence and clarity that the banner of heaven still waves over your life. I've got to tell you another story. Got to tell you another story. This one went viral this week. There's no names, just a father from South Dakota. Husband and wife who, are, who have uh, two foster children in their home, a brother and a sister. Sister's six and her brother's five. This five and their six-year-old, their parents, their biological mother or father have relinquished any parental rights. Hey, we... We can't take care of these kids or we don't want to is what the communication no doubt comes to their minds and their hearts. This five and six-year-old boy and girl in South Dakota is saying, well, our mommy and daddy doesn't want us. And so down there in a foster home here and a little post went viral from this father. He said, hey, hey guys, I just got to let you know I can't give you any pictures of, of, of the kids can't give you any names but I'm going to give you a picture that was given to me by my six-year-old foster daughter she doesn't understand that we have to foster her for six months before we can legally begin the process of adoption in the state of South Dakota he, she doesn't understand that there's a process here all she knows is she's been here and been there and then been moved and now another mommy and daddy and a different mommy and daddy and now she's in our home and he said this little note showed up on my bedside this morning I'll put a picture of it on the screen for you a little note in case you can't read it it's three words p-l-e-z that's please, L-U-V-E, please love me. And a six-year-old little girl scribbles this note and hand delivers it, one to the father, one to the mother, one to the husband, one to the wife. Would you please love me? And his father posted it. 
It said our hearts were broken because she doesn't understand we're here to stay. She's going to be our adopted daughter one day. We just have to go through the process. Please, P-L-E-Z, please love me. It's the cry of every human heart. Whether you're 6 or 16 or 36 or 46 or 66, It's the cry of every human heart, please love me. Tell me, tell me, this this is the invitation. Tell me that you're all in for me, that you'll be my protector, that you'll be with me every step of the way, that you will be with me every day for the rest of my life. Please tell me that this, this is love because love is permanent. A father whose post went viral took the same cut out a circle. He said, my heart's break that despite every ounce of effort, she's only known people who hand her off. And so there's nothing that I can do in this moment or nothing I can say I feel that would convince her that I truly love her and I will love her and her brother forever. But he said, I'm going to just try. And so he wrote a note. I'll put his note on the screen, cut out a little circle and put his note. And it writes, we will always, double underline always, we will always love you. And the little girl wears glasses. And so he slipped it under her pair of glasses and, uh, and left it there. And then they watched from a distance, this husband and wife, hoping to be father and mother. And he describes the moment his little girl went and picked up her glasses and put them on and recognized, wait, there's a a note there. And she reads it. She reads it. And after she finished reading the note, this is his quote now, she smiled twirled a dance, showed it to her five-year-old brother, and they tackle-hugged each other. Please love me. Is there a banner from heaven that waves over my life? Is there there one who loves me and will protect me every day of my life? The answer is yes, yes, and yes. Some of us grew up with the little, the little song, the, the Lord is mine and I am his. His banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. Is there a banner that still waves, Mr. Key? Is there a banner that still waves, not over Fort McHenry, but over your life and my life? Yes. Would you come to the altar? Would you come to the altar? Are you hurting and broken? Come. Are you overwhelmed with the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst to drink for something that that senior described? Jesus is calling. While our worship team joins me here, I want to read for you an invitation. In just a moment, the deacons and the ushers will pass through the congregation collecting connect cards and tithes and offerings. They'll collect those. But I want to read for you an invitation. 
that is in the back of my Bible. I have it posted there. Because it's an invitation for you and I to know that banner and to have our own banner clear. I'm going to make two simple but very direct invitations. The ushers will pass through. Don't worry about them. They can, they can work around us. They, they are professionals. But what I want to invite you to do as we sing this theme song, it will be the last time we sing it every week here as this series ends. I want to invite you to make one of two decisions. One, to your feet, you will stand. If you know that Jesus is calling you to be more consistent or to spend more time or to start spending time with him every day, you want to make a commitment to go to the altar. But then I want to invite you down to meet me here in the front. If you believe that Jesus is calling you not just to spend time with him, but to publicly give your life to him, that your banner would be clear. When Moses stood on the hillside and said, my banner is clear. God is my banner. He was both declaring God as the one who gave the victory and himself as one who was committed to that God. And maybe you haven't been baptized or you've wandered away and you know that you need to make a public recommitment, a, a rebaptism. Won't be today. We'll talk about an opportunity. But you can meet me right here. I'll stand right here with you. Those that are just saying, I'm going to repeat it one more time. If your decision is to stand, spend time with Jesus or more time with Jesus, you can stand during the theme song. But if your decision is for a public banner to be clear in your life, then you join me at the front. Here's the invitation. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus. I won't look back, let up, or slow down, or back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, small planning, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, regarded, praised, or rewarded. I now live by faith. I lean in his presence. I walk by patience, and I'm uplifted, and I labor with prayer. And the final lines, I won't give up. I won't shut up. I won't let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes back in the clouds of heaven for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? 
just as you wait for the ground Till the world of the treasure We're going to have a baptismal Sabbath. We're going to have several in the next couple of months. As you wrestle with that decision, I pray. I pray on a personal level I would have the opportunity to witness your baptism. You let us know. The connect card, the connect number, you let us know. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.